So welcome to Pints and Politics. Pints and Politics is many things. First of all, we are a weekly panel discussion uh, program on Trent Radio CFFF in Peterborough, Ontario, 92.7 FM. Pints and Politics is also a podcast posted at pintsandpolitics.ptbopodcasters.ca. You can also listen or subscribe by searching for Pints and Politics on iTunes and on Stitcher. We explore all things political with a focus on life in Peterborough and Ontario. Since March, we've been gathering online for these discussions. The discussion to which you're about to listen was recorded on Wednesday, September 16th. So joining me for this online discussion are four of our regular members of our politics panel. You know them all. First of all, Curve Lake First Nations Councillor and Ontario NDP Indigenous People's Committee Chair Sean Conway, then Peterborough This Week journalist and former mayor uh, of Peterborough, Sylvia Sutherland, then campaign manager and consultant Lauren Hunter, and editor and podcaster Donald Fraser. Uh, Thanks for joining me uh, online today. To start with, are we poised on the brink of some sort of significant historical moment? Are, Are we approaching some sort of watershed? Like, will November 2020 be one of those turning points in world history? Are, are we living through such a moment? The, the pandemic, the wildfires, the climate change, racial conflict, economic turmoil, they're sort of melding together in this toxic alloy that's uh, threatening to, to crush liberal democracies under its weight. Well, so what's I, going Sylvia, on? Yeah, please. Sylvia here, I, I think you just summed up uh, the reasons why we probably are. You know, I think, uh, you know, you could see the end of the great American experiment, which would be certainly a turning point in world history. And I think you potentially are seeing the uh, the makings of another, and I don't think this is overstating it, American Civil War. I think uh, it is indeed a, a very a worrisome time. We're in a turning point in history because of the American election and also because of, I think, COVID. Things are never going to be the same again. And I think it's very rarely you recognize the fact that you're actually living through a watershed in history. And we'll, I know we'll go on and talk later about the complications and the dangers of what's happening in the United States right now. But yes, indeed, I think we are t- facing a turning point in history. I definitely think that, um, you know, we're, we could find ourselves in deep, deep trouble if this election is close. And, and I don't even mean too close to call. I just mean close enough that it can be argued about. I, I don't know that Trump will be brave enough to to act if the american people have oh yes he will. Him. He, he well he, he'll have a lot more ammo if uh if he gets to stretch out the process and, and go for recounts and things like that uh it just puts more more balls in play but uh yeah it's scary yeah sean here i think i think yeah a watershed moment is a good way to put about it but it's not so much centered around the, the United States presidential campaign, so much as it's, it's not one of the many pieces, I think, involved in it. We're dealing with, with historic uh, levels of income inequality, climate annihilation barreling through the United States. Global food systems are, are failing and are failing in the bread belt of the United States right now. And on top of it, you've got two parties which have pledged support from corporate America that are duking it out where no one's talking about policy. Everyone's talking about 
well, don't vote for Biden because of this or don't vote for Trump because of this, where no one's actually brought policy to the table yet. Food systems are, are failing in the Midwest. Well, I think maybe just to quickly respond to that, uh, we've got historic climate fires occurring in California right now where the majority of Canada's winter produce would come from California. And that's a huge, huge concern, I think, for people uh, living north of the border, but but more so those those people that are living in the United States who are going to feel the brunt of it as well. I think uh, Sylvia's point that certainly feels like a watershed moment. I, you know, lived through, can remember September 2001 and knew at the time, even though I was uh, a little bit younger, that this was a significant moment in history. And it, it certainly feels like we're staring off the edge of the Grand Canyon into the the end of the American era and the rise of, of Asia as the, the global superpower in amongst everything else that everyone has mentioned and done so eloquently. So if, if this isn't a watershed moment, I don't know what is. And in some ways, I, I feel like, you know, are these the culmination of events? Are these the moments that will start to actually have an impact that people are going to recognize that we need deep systemic change across so many of the systems and that, you know, I think a pandemic uh, in through history has also been a moment for societies to, to reckon and to look at how things have been done. And so can we leave what we knew behind and walk into the new world beyond? Uh, and I'm hopeful that we can. There's a lot of hope, but I got to say, uh, when you talk about all these events coming together at the same time, it's more depressing than it is invigorating right now. Uh, I think one of the results, and Lauren made me think about when she mentioned the, the rise of the, the Asian, the Chinese, it le- is going to leave if Trump wins again, and maybe if it does. But if Trump wins again, there's going to be a tremendous gap in the leadership of the Western world. Not that he's done a very good job. He's a gap right now. But Angela Merkel is scheduled to disappear actually from the scene. And I think right now you could point to Merkel as perhaps yep. the, uh, you know, the leader of the, of the pre, of the Western world. But I think that, I think, you know, the, the United States is on the verge of abdicating, forcefully or not, that role. Donald here. Yeah, take a look at take, the, the, some of the repercussions here. I mean, Trump has, has been very vocal in, in private and, and somewhat vocal in public about wanting to get the heck out of NATO. He's he's repro- repeatedly stated that that Europe is not paying enough. They're they're not paying for the United States to really act as the security for uh, for Europe and for the North. I mean, there's there's going to be economic ramifications. There's going to be military ramifications. Uh, we talk about we talk about the the rise of of Asia as a superpower, but you got to think that that Putin and, and Russia are are looking at a, a Trump victory as a major, major military and, and economic win for them as well. Sure. Yeah, I think, too, let's get a little bit into the weeds on this. Today, uh, Rasmussen released a poll, probably the closest poll that we've seen in the United States. It put by, uh, it actually put Biden behind by one or two points uh, to Donald Trump for re-election. What is even more startling and should be more startling to the Biden campaign right now would be that it was conducted not only by telephone, but also online with a very large swath of voters queried. And it brings me back to what I was saying before. And in that the argument to vote for Biden cannot be, I'm, he's not Donald Trump. 
It really has to be about those big policies, which are popular with the vast majority of the American population. They're they're popular with the vast majority of all of all people uh, right now with the uh, universal health care, with expanded voting rights, with uh, reform in policing. Those are hugely popular policies where Joe Biden has stated continually that nothing will fundamentally change. And I think that he really needs to zero in on those policies to sure. win over not only the left, but also regular voters who are looking for a populist message where they're going to hear it in Donald Trump. Sylvia. I think they're, uh, and I hear what, uh, very much what, uh, what Sean is saying. And, uh, and, uh, I'm a, I'm an old new dealer, really. But if you, if you read in 1930, in 1932, Roosevelt ran not on specific policy, on a, a fundamental change in direction. New deal unfolded in the, you know, in the first hundred days of the Roosevelt administration. And, you know, if you listen to the Sanderites, Sanderites, of which I probably could have been counted as one. It is not clear, in fact. They'll say, yeah, the vast majority of people. The Democratic Party, you know, it is not necessarily, the Democratic Party is not necessarily part of the left. There are segments of the Democratic Party that are. And surely, to goodness, you would hope that people would get out to vote because they don't want another Trump. Things unfold if Biden wins, and the pressure can be on then. I think, to develop policies that will respond to the desires of many Americans, which is what happened with the New Deal. Absolutely, Sylvia, and I agree with you on a lot of those points. I think really what what needs to happen is Donald Trump has his, his supporters. And it's a vast majority of the United States. And as you as you may know from some of the responses you get to your columns, that that to be the case with with the Democratic Party, because they are so stretched out. It's a big, big blue tent. You're still having to end up in a situation right now with the Biden campaign where they're trying to court moderates and centrists and, and Republicans who don't like Donald Trump anymore, where perhaps a party faithful aren't who are maybe more on the left, are seeing an abandonment of those values. And I think that's going to be the trouble for Biden. I think Biden and and Harris have this in the bag, but I think that they need to be reaching out to to those those economic populist messages, which are popular. Biden apparently has to win by 5% to make it sure. With the electoral right. college, perhaps there's, there's going to be real trouble. Why should, I'd like to ask Canadians care i mean the five of us <laughs> but what about people who read our local newspapers why should they care sean well i think i think peterborough has been uh, a real victim and, and also a beneficiary to our relationship with the united states when it comes to uh, nafta uh, when it comes to different trade agreements that have been signed with the united states and mexico we've seen a lot of our industry leave to those places even looking down highway over to Oshawa, where you've got those jobs from the car plants going to Michigan uh, because of American protectionism, that's only going to expand under another Donald Trump campaign, uh, Donald Trump administration. But you could also see that same sort of economic hostility to Canadian labor happening with a Biden campaign as well. I think we really need to take a look at our trade relationship with the United States and give it a really hard look. A lot of raw materials that go to the United States come from Canada. If we're talking about softwood, we're talking about aluminum and even the, um, you know, the chicken they were playing the other day with aluminum. It's, 
it's really unstable for us. So we need to we need to look at that from the Canada end and also from the United States end and come to a different agreement. Donald? Echoing a little bit of what Sean was talking about, Biden just announced a $700 billion American first uh, campaign promise where there there's going to be money pouring in for the government to to purchase solely American products. There, uh, there. This is this is not going to be uh, the, the the free trade uh, the free the free trade that we're hoping for when it comes from the, the Democratic Party. Uh, and on the flip side of that, last month uh, Trump talked about about uh, signing the proclamation uh, reimposing Section 232. Uh, and if you don't know what Section 232 is, it allows presidents to step in and impose tariffs when uh, when things are necessary to defend our our national security. And, and, and Trump doesn't need an excuse to, to bend rules. He, he will do it anyways. Something like 232 is going to allow him to slap down tariffs wherever he sees fit. And, and his sense of national security is very much an economic one. I mean, he, he's, he's way down in the weeds. A couple of weeks ago, he was starting an investigation into, um, into Canadian lobster. And, uh, and that's because, yes. uh, tariffs were removed because the, the Canadian lobster market is, is great. Uh, they, they, they're doing wonderful in particularly in Asia. I mean, I can't see that Trump is going to play fair at all with NAFTA, but I also don't see us being in a very comfortable spot with Biden. I may concentrating on Trump as well. We should, because I really think he's a danger to the world and there, uh, but there's another consideration here, and that's that's Congress, and it's particularly the Senate, because even if Biden wins, and I'm hoping he does, and despite the poll that Sean just just enunciated, we're a long way yet from, and I still believe that where the popular vote is concerned, for what that matters, uh, Biden will win. But on the other hand, if he has a Senate that is a Republican Senate and constituted much as the current one is, there's not going to be a great deal he's going to be able to do. Now, uh, I wanted to know, in regard to the debate and what we've heard so far and what we haven't heard, what is the role uh, of rational debate, logic, and science in this election campaign? They almost sound like oxymorons here. Who stands to gain from the daily onslaught of all the fake news? Well, let let me tell you what you mentioned before. I didn't realize, really, truly, until I wrote a column recently, which was clearly anti-Trump, the depth and the cult-like quality of the Trumpeters. Uh, In Canada. In Canada. In Canada. I mean, I don't really mind being called a moron, which I was in one letter. That was the kindest thing that letter said about me. But, you know, you realize, you know, the irrationality. I mean, I guess they figure I'm irrational. But what an impact, for example, Fox News has had and how terribly dug in they are. And right. I would say, and if any of them listen to this, they're going to certainly take umbrage in a very ugly way. But if, if it's a Canadian, the immediate area here, uh, which included it ran in Cortha Lakes this week as well, the area around Lynn's Victoria, Halliburton, and Peterborough, if the, the, Trump, the Trump supporters here are indicative of anything, I mean, it must be even stronger in the States. And quite frankly, it is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, Lauren. And one of your earlier questions was, you know, what does this mean for Canada and and should we be paying attention? And I think that our experience right now that Canada is not immune to some of these things that fake news and conspiracy theorists and anti-maskers and it's all here. It just I think 
perhaps not to the same degree, and perhaps it hasn't been openly welcomed uh, and encouraged in the same way, but we are absolutely tied to the U.S. culturally, economically, socially, in so many ways. You know, if you think about where the majority of Canadians live right down along the border with the U.S., we are intrinsically tied. And so when these trends are happening in the U.S., and I think it goes beyond this election, and I mean... could we see riots the day after, the, in the days after, no matter who wins, I think at this point is likely. And uh, these divisions, these social breakages that they're experiencing are here too. And so we need to be concerned, not just because that's happening with our largest trading partner and the largest undefended border in the world, et cetera, but because it means something for Canadians as well, independently. And, and, and to pick up on what Lauren was saying, we, we have since 1814, uh, pretty well, we've been used to having a neighbor, not only an undefended border, but a neighbor whose foreign policy and our foreign policy and that are usually not always, and there are there are blips, but have been in sync. And and if we end up with a neighbor, and that would be Trump, not Biden, whose foreign policy is antithetical to where Canada stand, views how Canada views the world, that is highly unusual experience for Canadians, and we have not adjusted at all. Why should we have, you know, to, to, to having that neighbor next to us? And that, I think, is going to be another real challenge. just wanted to know, is there a danger of too great a focus on the U.S. election in Canadian media? In other words, are we at the risk of ignoring our own issues because of the U.S. campaign? Like, so, I mean, how can Canadians be vigilant as to our own government actions and inactions, while at the same time weighing the consequences of all these uh, events uh, south of the border we don't have any control over. Uh, Sean here. I think that it has to come hand in hand. I'm, I'm a big believer in, in getting global uh, global perspective to, to anything that's happening. I, I think it's important that we focus on things like the ethics commissioner ruling on Palantir today is very important here in Canada, if anyone's read that. I think it's a very, very important uh, uh, ruling that, that came out. But also, I think it's important that we look at what's happening in California. I think it's important that we pay attention to what's happening in Europe with the UN or the, the EU and, and the work that Donald Tusk is doing. And, and I think we need to have that global perspective to ground us in creating a better world, not only in Canada, but being the global force for peace that Canada claims to be. I don't believe it, but, you know, I think it's something to strive for. And, uh, you know, I I do believe we can walk and chew gum at the same time. (laughs) We really can, and it's important. What's happening in the United States is important worldwide. It's certainly important to Canada. What's happening in Canada is important to us and to the world, but I don't think we're paying attention. We should be, and I think many of us who are interested in these issues are. But I think the realization, we have to realize, as we have these discussions on politics, that the majority of people in Canada, perhaps not as many now as a year ago, are getting on with their lives. And they become interested in politics at election time, times in the poll. But, you know, and and not everyone lives and breathes politics, as those of us sitting around, uh, not this table, but... Uh, on this on this uh, broadcast. Now, I was wondering, regardless of who wins on November 3rd, what will our world be like as we move into winter? I mean, again, regardless of who wins, unemployment will probably still be high. The pandemic may intensify. There's uh, 
uh, people I follow on Twitter, uh, doctors who say we are into a second wave in Ontario. Travel may be re- still be restricted. The border was closed until November. And our lives may continue to be highly unpredictable. So will a democratic victory make this winter easier for Americans and by extension for us? Does a Republican victory do? I think right now uh, there there's no brakes on the train. And it's gonna it's gonna take a while for the United States to to come out of this. You know, just thinking of that, that it's an act, an economic collapse in the United States is what's happening right now. A million people signed up for unemployment last week in the United States, and that's the trend. That's the trend that's happening in the United States. There, it's it's. I don't see anything changing for the first six seven months of a Biden campaign, and he's even been out saying that. He's not sure what he can even do other than not be Donald Trump. And this is the problem that I've talked about before is, you know, we're going to listen to science. Well, what science is going to say, shut down the economy. Are you going to do that? I don't know if he's going to do it. Right. And, and this this kind of economic upheaval, this, this time of uncertainty, uh, when people are scared, that's that's when nationalism thrives. Um, that's when yes. populism thrives. Uh, we've already seen over the past decade, two decades, uh, a very strong move to the right um, in the Western world, uh, throughout Europe, throughout North America. Populism reigns. Giving money to business rather than, than people is, is, is the way to go. And things are getting desperate. And the more desperate they are, the more leaders like, like Trump or Ford or those populists who, uh, who say that they're doing it for the people, but really, really are not. That, that's when they thrive. And right now we're looking at an America that is so deeply, deeply divided on, on racial lines, uh, right now with Trump on, on, on gender lines, on economic lines. Uh, this is, this is, uh, you know, a civil war. Uh, it's a, it's a revolution that's waiting to happen. And, and I take a look at Black Lives Matter. I take a look at all these things that are happening in the states. And, and I still wonder why there hasn't been, uh, carte blanche revolution. I mean, people are seeing it. The, the, their, their planet is dying. Uh, their livelihoods are dying. Uh, if, if you are not white, your, your ability to thrive is, is getting throttled. And it, it, and it blows my mind. And, and what happens is it becomes cyclical. Uh, <laughs> those people who are, who are promising things that they can't back up, that are promising that their country, their nationalism, that hunkering down to get <laughs> the best way out of here, and it never is, are, are going to thrive. And, and, and it, scares, it scares the pants right off me. Now, if I was of a different political persuasion, I'd rebut Sean's point about uh, the million applying for unemployment last week in the States. Was, and I'd say something like, but the markets are booming. Our stock markets are fine, which speaks well, to your is, point, Donald. That it's well, two different it, economies. This is it, uh, that it doesn't matter if it's the Democrats. It doesn't matter if it's the Republicans. The measure of American society and liberal democracy is GDP. And that's the failure of the American experiment. You have an economic collapse for the people of that country that are feeling the effects of climate change, of the pandemic, of X, Y, and Z. But you've got Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and all these American billionaire scumbags making tons of cash off of poor people. And nothing is getting better for the working class in America. Right. Sylvia. I think uh, going back to your earlier uh, earlier question, uh, I, I think Canadians generally would be more comfortable 
with the Biden presidency. And the other thing is, I, you know, I wouldn't underestimate Biden and I, or the direction he would take. It's not going to be tired. I mean, there are going to be economic strains with the Biden presidency and trade with Canada. But I think we would be more comfortable with Biden and uh, and a Democratic Congress. But um, and again, uh, it's easy to underestimate Biden. But I think uh-huh. uh, I think he might possibly be a pleasant surprise. At the end. <laughs> Is, so you brought, you brought up the New Deal, and if there was someone to bring in a Green New Deal, if there was someone that was going to bring in wholesale change uh, at a level that is going to rattle the status quo uh, and push back and, and have measures that are going to be tangible when it comes to the economy, the planet, uh, the virus, whatever, is that Biden? I don't know. I mean, they, they were quick yeah, to get rid of Biden, Biden plus Congress. Don't forget Congress, you know, and don't forget the pressures that could be on Biden if there is a, a Democratic Senate and Democratic House. But this from this, the left leaning young and some old uh, Massachusetts being one, you know, Senate's uh, senators and, and uh, representatives they're on the presidency from within the own, his own party. If, if in fact they control the Congress and the White House, knows that he is he is probably, he is a one-term president. That was scared of scared of of Bernie Sanders. Uh, this is this is a Democratic Party that is very very happy in the center. Um, I think that they're very uncomfortable when when they when they have those young voices, when they have those passionate voices. I'm saying the young the young voices they they have to win, and yeah. maybe being in the center is how they can win. Uh, yeah. Those young voices, I do believe, will be heard. Uh, okay, we're winding we're winding down here, but um, any last words that you can carry over to next week when we are on the U.S. election again? What do we look look to? Well, I, I think you should discuss at some point the uh, the role of the electoral college in determining what the outcome will be because it's critical. Okay, and, uh, might be worth. <laughs> If we can narrow in on some of the swing states, I think Florida is going to be the decider this time around, big time, uh, and some of the Rust Belt as well, I think, are going to be really important. Wisconsin. The dichotomy between Biden and Trump. We end up with President Pelosi. Well, well, you know, God help us. Well, if it's undecided, undecided, that's that's who's going to go to. All right. Well, and uh, with that, thank you so much, uh, Sean, Sylvia, Lauren, and Donald. This has been another episode of Pints and Politics, a weekly discussion program about all things political. We post on Twitter at Bill Temp and on our Facebook page, Pints and Politics Podcast. We're also available iTunes and Stitcher. Until next week, that would be September 31st. This is Bill Templeman.